The Creek Church is a community of believers located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you would like more information about the Creek Church, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. I'm excited. I, baptisms are one of my favorite things that we do as a church. I mean, it just is awesome. I love it. I'm soaked, but that is a good soaked. Um, one of the things that I also love about what we do is if you are the one that is instrumental in bringing them into a relationship with Christ, you need to be the one baptizing them. I mean, not my shirt should be wet, but yours. And so I get excited about that. And uh, we've got 10 baptisms today. So we did some in the first service, second service. We got more in the third service. Yeah, it is awesome. Yes, I love it. I love it. Um, I'm Pastor Matt. If this is your first time, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Um, Like uh, Adam was saying, if you wouldn't mind filling out that Connect card, we get some information to you about who we are. Um, You can drop that in the giving station on your way out. The giving stations are the black boxes on your way out the door. We don't pass a plate, um, so we uh, put that uh, back there for you. It's an act of worship and an act of obedience, so thank you for that. During our State of the Ministry address, I rolled out something that's a challenge for us as a church this year called Engage 100. And um, I want to give you an update on that. I want to kind of keep regular updates. And the the challenge was we want to see a minimum of 100 salvations this year, 100 baptisms, 100 people go from sitting in the seat to serving. And then we want to see a minimum of 100 people go from uh, not giving to that that obedience of giving. And um, let me give you some update on that. Um, So far this year, we've had eight salvations and 17 recommitments. Those are great decisions for Christ. Um, We've done six baptisms previously, and then we've got 10 today, so that's 16 baptisms, which is good. This one blew me away. We were in staff meeting this week, and I was like, okay, so I want to give an update this week and give me some numbers and all the ministries we're reporting in. And so far this year, new volunteers, that's not, hey, we just had these people step up at Easter. We had a ton of you step up at Easter, which was awesome. But this year... People that have said, I'm going to start serving beyond Easter is 59 people. Isn't that incredible? So uh, thank you for that. We are able to help us in a lot of key areas. Our parking team was launched, and I, I love those parking guys. They have my heart. That's my people right there, man. If I, if I wasn't here, I'd be out there because um, they get to have a lot of fun, and I'm all about goofing off and loving Jesus. So... Um, and then the other, the other challenge I gave was uh, the giving side, it, that if you're not giving, then I'm challenging you to hear God, and obviously, anytime you're going to give, you need to hear God and give cheerfully, but my challenge was, is I want you to pray about starting somewhere, because for most people, starting at a big amount, is, it's overwhelming, and the enemy just gets you tripped up, but start somewhere, so the challenge was $100 a month, that's $25 a week, and with the amount of people that we have in our church that if everyone in our church did that, we'd be, we would be giving money away like crazy. We wouldn't know what to do with it. Um, and, and God would be just going, I'm, I don't think you can handle all this, so give it away, which I would love to do. So um, challenging on that. So uh, just to give you an update, I'm not going to say, well, here's how many people started giving. Here's what I am going to say. We have seen incredible financial increase in the life of our church this year, um, that it's, it's, it's awesome to be able to cover budget because that means that ministry gets happened and we've got some extra money. We were able to take the ministries we tithe into and start giving them more. And so we got letters and texts from them going, hey, do you, know, you realize you sent this much? And we're like, yes, we are. That is awesome. I love that we can send you that much. And uh, so you pray that that keeps going and we'll keep giving you that much. 
And so it's, I love that. So thank you for engaging in that. We're in a series called Grace at Work. So if you've got your Bible called, uh, go to Ephesians chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back table for you. Um, If you don't own one, write your name in that. That is our gift to you. I want you to have your Bibles, especially through this series, because I want you to be marking them up and writing in them, taking notes. Um, Ephesians chapter one. Why we're calling it Grace at Work is this. Um, all of the work that God does in building the church, it's through his grace. I mean, we engage and we get on board with the mission of the gospel and we serve and we work. I mean, because the faith without works is dead, but it's all the grace of God that is building us. He's building the kingdom. He's building the church. He's building believers. He's building the body of Christ. And so this is a foundational um, letter, this foundational book to what the church's function is and the, the amazing work that we're called to. Today we're going to look at a prayer that, that Paul writes. It's Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15. And there's two prayers that Paul prays in the book of Ephesians, this letter to the church at Ephesus. And it's actually a circulatory letter, which meant it wasn't just intended for the people in the church at Ephesus. It was intended to be passed around to the region and then beyond. But there's two prayers in this letter from Paul. This first one is a prayer of enlightenment that, that we'll know and there's revelation that comes. And then the second prayer is a prayer of enablement. And I love it. That's the grace of God at work in the church that God wants us to know him and to know the mission. And then he says, then connect the dots and go do it. I mean, never in church. If you hear this, that you should just know and never do, then, then leave. If you hear me say, just know and don't do anything, then follow me out the door because I'm leaving in front of you. We're called to know, but also to do. And so let's, let me read this. I want to read the entire context of this prayer, and then we'll come back and kind of look at, look at some things in here that, that God's saying to us. Verse 15, Paul says, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he who worked in Christ When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, under Jesus' feet, and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, to the fullness of him who fills all in all. When you look at this prayer with Paul, there's actually, I introduced to you this last week, or I didn't introduce, I expanded on it, but the head, the heart, and the hand concept, that we who follow Christ are called to be disciples. And discipleship isn't just knowing, and it isn't just experiencing, it's about doing. So there's a connection in the the believer with the head, the heart, and the hand. And you see this in this prayer that Paul says that you may know, and that your, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened by the spirit of wisdom. And then we see the mighty work of God's hand in raising Jesus from the dead. That as a disciple, as someone who follows Christ, you and I are called to know. We're called to experience and have our hearts enlightened and our hearts stirred. But we're also called to do. And the power in God's hand that raised Christ from the dead is the power he gives the church today. 
So looking at this prayer, I want to kind of dissect it a little bit. It's important when you study scripture to study what was the original context. What was going on? What did it mean to them? What did it mean in the context of first century Ephesus in the Roman Empire? And then what does it mean to us? Too many of us start by reading going, God, how does this apply to me? And if you try to approach scripture that way, you're going to be disappointed because you're missing the context. So let's understand who Paul is praying for. And when we, when we start breaking this down, Paul is, he, he writes this prayer out. He is praying for someone. Who is it? It says in verse 15 that, that for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. So he's praying for the saints. He's praying for the faithful in verse 19. I'm sorry, in verse 15. 15 is uh, saints and faithful. Verse 19. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward who? Us who believe. So he's praying for believers. And then verse 22, he says, Christ, who is given as the head over what? The church. He's praying for the church. So what, is this, what does this mean? It means that Paul is not just praying for the original people who received this letter. Paul is praying for you and I. Because you and I, in Christ, are found faithful. We are believers we are the church. And some of you are like, well, who are the saints? If you're in Christ, we are the saints. Well, I haven't done enough good things and good works to be a saint. No, you haven't. And let me just help you with that. You will never do enough good works to be called a saint. The best we can put before Jesus is filthy rags. It is by his grace and by his blood shed on Calvary, that you and I become the righteousness of God and we are seen as saints through the blood of Christ. And that in Christ, we are found faithful. Our belief is in him. And when we're in Christ, we become part of the church. Not, I'm not talking about the creek. I'm talking about the church. Jesus is the head of the church and then we, you and I are the body. So Paul is praying for you and I. Here's the beauty of it. He says... Since I, I hear about your faith and your love towards the saints, okay, the church is called to love one another. And he says, I, I'm moved by this because I've heard of it and I'm moved by your love towards the saints. The church is supposed to help take care of the body. We're supposed to work in the community and be a part of the community and reach the community, go to those who are lost. But the church also has a responsibility to, to love the saints, Here's what I've learned, that, that love leads us to action. When I love Jesus, I love other people. The way that works is Jesus loves me and then loves through me. And what is beautiful about this, I see this not just in this room and in the lobby, but I see it in the context of our community that loved people love people. When we really realize how much God loves us, that transforms us, and then we begin to see people through the eyes of Christ. We begin to love people the way God loves people. How much does he love people? So much so that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We become sacrificial in how we treat the people around us. We begin to love people that, that honestly society may say is unlovable. 
When you realize how much you're loved, you start loving the people you're sitting in traffic with. That's transformational. When you're sitting on 35, sitting on 35, you're like, I love the people around me. I'd rather love you while I'm in front of you or to the left of you going around you, but I love you. Love leads us to action. So Paul is praying for you and I that our love marks what the church does. So who he's praying for, we get that right, you and I, right? Those who are in Christ. Now, if you're not in Christ, you're not a saint. I mean, I know a lot of people every week that can sit in a church. They can be faithful in their church attendance, but there's no connection with Christ. You're faithful in doing the duty um, of a saint, Like I I go and I punch my time clock at church. I do these activities. I serve because I'm told to serve. I give because I'm told to give. And you have absolutely no heart connection. You're not part of the church. You're going through some motions that are not going to get you anywhere. So he's praying for those who are part of the church, those who are redeemed in Christ. Those who are found faithful in Christ. So what is he praying for? I mean, I don't see him praying for our circumstances. You know, I'm praying for the, the church at Ephesus that they may, um, they may all get good jobs and they may all get this and get the desires of their heart. Paul's not praying for their circumstances. Now, let me clear up something theologically for, for, for you. I get this feedback even in my own church where people think it's wrong to pray for themselves. I don't want to pray for myself because that's selfish. And God said, you know, God didn't say that. Somebody in your past said it's selfish for you to pray for yourself. How could the God we serve that says in his word, I long to give you the desires of your heart, then turn around and say, but don't pray for yourself. Don't pray for your desires. Pray for everybody else's. I long to give you yours, but I don't. How many of you parents would say to your kid, don't tell me what you want? When your kids, before they can speak, you are, you're in their face wishing they could talk because you could see they're in pain and going, I just wish you could tell me what's wrong. Tell me how I can fix it. Tell me how I can engage with this. God is a beautiful father. He's a perfect father. It's okay to pray for ourselves. Some of you are going through incredible medical diagnosis right now. You're either going into testing, you're waiting on the results of tests, You need to be praying for yourself. You have a church that's praying for you, but it's okay. But Paul says there's something deeper than us just praying about our circumstances. There are deeper things of faith that we engage in when we talk to our Father. First thing Paul is praying for, he says that God would give you revelation in knowing Him. That God would give you revelation in knowing Him. How does that come? It comes through the spirit of wisdom. The Holy Spirit gives us that wisdom. The Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. The Holy Spirit guides us into knowing our Father better and better and better. And knowledge is deeper than information. We live in an information-saturated society. I could ask a question right now, and probably in 30 seconds, we could do like a game about it. In 30 seconds, I could probably have 50 people standing up here with the answer found on Google on their smartphone. We don't lack for information. We lack for revelation. 
And God says, I want you to know me. Revelation, here's what I've learned in faith. And it's okay to have doubts. Doubts should lead to questions. Questions in faith, we desire answers, but what God longs to give us is revelation. That when you, when you have doubts about my character, ask me about it. And I'm more willing to lead you into revelation than give you an answer. What, is it, what do we mean by that? God wants us to know him. He wants to experience his character. He wants to know him instead of know about him. There's a lot of people that I know that can study this as a book and say, I can quote you a lot of information about God. But do you have a relationship with him? And the first time I saw Heather standing across a church lobby 20-some-odd years ago, I wanted to know everything about her. I wanted to know her favorite color. What's her favorite food? What's her favorite bird? I mean, anything I could find out. I wanted information, information. But it wasn't just so I could know a lot about the woman I, I wanted to marry. It's so I could know her. I says, I don't want you to just know about me. I want you to know me. The God of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all things, desires to have a connection with you. And Paul is praying that you would receive the revelation through the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom to know God. That the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. The eyes of your heart would be open. There are things that we can see with our physical eyes but cannot see with our spiritual eyes. The Holy Spirit has to open that. That's why Jesus said, you know, you can see but you can't see. You can hear but you can't hear. You can receive the information but you're not understanding. What is he saying? The Holy Spirit has not opened the heart to see, to hear and to understand the revelation of God. And Paul's saying, I'm desiring that you know that. God is not far off and wants to remain mysterious. He wants us to know him. The challenge would be, what what do you need to see through the eyes of your heart? You're too busy trying to look with your eyes. What do we need to see? What does God need to reveal to you? What revelation this morning does God need to give you through your heart so you see him in a more clear way? Paul said, I'm praying for you to know that. And then, then he goes on to some more things that he's praying for when you get into verse 18. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Paul's saying, I am praying that you know the hope that God has called you to. Now, called church is this. It's called ecclesia. It's a called out assembly. God has called us out. What has he called us out of? We just celebrated. He's called us out of death into life. He's called us out of darkness into light. 1 Peter 2.9, he's called us into his marvelous light. In 1 Peter 5.10, it says that he's called us to glory. You and I need to realize that we, are, we have a high calling in our life for the glory of God that goes way beyond our jobs. We reduce God's calling to what place I should go and give eight hours a day to. God's calling on your life is for his glory all of the time, forever and ever. That's why we see that whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever your hand finds to do, the whatever encompasses everything, do it for the glory of God. You and I are called in everything we do to honor our Father by giving him glory. 
That's the calling that you and I embrace in our life when we submit our life to Christ. And so in your job, whatever job God has led you to, are you giving God the glory? In your marriage, are you giving God the glory? As a parent, are you giving God the glory? As a grandparent, are you giving God the glory? As an aunt, as an uncle, whatever your structure looks like, whatever job you have, whatever family you're in, whatever school you're going to, are you going to school for the glory of God? That's what we're called to do. And Paul says, I want you to know the hope in that calling because you and I who are in Christ, we have hope. We do not mourn as the rest of the world does who has no hope. There is a resurrection from the dead. We have a resurrected Savior. Therefore, our hope is alive. Peter also calls this a blessed hope, this living hope. It's an assurance. It's a faith. It's a confidence. It's not a hope so. Too many Christians approach God without confidence, without this living hope, and like, well, I just hope so. I hope God can take care of this. I mean, we just kind of slump our shoulders. We've already come to him in a defeated attitude like, God, I don't know. I mean, I can read in your word the information that you sustain the world and you hold it by your hand and everything happens by your power, but I just, I hope so. I hope you can do this. Here's what God is saying to you. Come on, son, stand up. Look at what I have done. That's a testimony of what I am doing and what I will do. You come with confidence. You come with boldness because I've given you a hope. I've given you a living hope. And what you ask in my name, I can take care of it. I mean, we somehow think the God who spoke everything into existence can't do something in our life. He says, that's the hope. You have hope. You have an eternal hope. What God says he's going to do, God is going to do. It's it's like this. You can know You can have the information. I can tell you all day long that God has called you out of darkness. But in your life, are you experiencing light? We we have a freedom ministry. And I can tell you all day long that Christ, through his blood on the cross and the resurrection, has paid for your freedom. But too many people are willing to sit in a cell and the door's wide open and they just sit there. They're not experiencing freedom. They know they're free. I'm free. But they're unwilling to experience it in their life. Paul's saying, I want you to know the hope of that calling and experience the hope of that calling. Hope is a dynamic force. Then he goes on, verse 18. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Paul says, I want you to know the, great, the, the, the riches of his glorious inheritance. Now, what is the inheritance of God? The key is, says, in the saints. The God of the universe who owns everything and created everything has an inheritance, and it's you and I. I mean, have you ever had to face that that daunting task at Christmas and birthdays of what to get somebody who has everything? I mean, Heather and I go through that, like, what do we get them? They have everything. They're, what could we possibly give them that's going to just, when they open it up, because everybody does this, when you open it up on Christmas morning, that's exactly what I needed. That's going to make my life better than anything it's ever been. Okay, how do you give a gift to the God of the universe? Hey, God, how about, got it. God, I have a way to make your life better. <laughs> Don't need that, but I've already got it. What do you give to God as an inheritance It's you and I. 
You see, Jesus Christ paid the price. He paid for our sin on the cross. He bought us as an inheritance for his father. And you and I are our father's inheritance and his joy is in his inheritance. His riches are in his inheritance. Not only do we have an inheritance and we're co-heirs with Christ, but you and I, who are believers and faithful in the church, are the inheritance of God. You have incredible value to God. Have you ever stopped to think about that? I mean, the enemy is here to steal, kill, destroy. He's a liar. He's going to lie to you about your self-worth and lie to you about your value. But have you ever stopped to think about how much God values you? That, That when you read the truth in Romans, when he says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that God so loved the world, he gave his only son so that those who believe in him, we might have eternal life. That God desires none to perish, but all to come to repentance. That he's called us from, from death to life. You and I bring nothing to the table in the promises of God other than obedience. And that's just willing to say, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to trust you. And we get so wrapped up on this because the enemy says, you don't matter to God. You don't have any value. Look at the cross to determine your value, not the mirror. Look at the empty tomb to determine your value, not what your past looks like. Because in Christ, God deals with us on the basis of our future, not our past. We were looking online yesterday. My mother and father-in-law are here today, and I'm so glad they're here today. And we were looking online trying to find the values of trucks and determine used values. Every one of us guys has done that. What's my truck worth? What's my truck worth? See, our wives like to watch the, the show where they take the old lamp in. Like, how much is this lamp worth? It's to a guy, nothing. What's the truck worth? Okay. What's the gun worth? What's the fishing pole worth? What's, all the, what's my stuff worth? And you start answering these questions. Has it had any accidents? Has it had, it, what, what is happening is you're working on this website to determine the value of something based on its past. You and I, in Christ, our value is determined based on our future because God sees us through the blood of his son shed on Calvary. And he sees his glorious inheritance. And he sees us and he sees incredible value. And then Paul says that you would know the greatness of his power that you would know the greatness of his power. The word power is literally translated dynamite. The Greek is dunamis, dynamite, that you would know the dynamite power of our God. See, when you understand that God's power is dynamic and is powerful, it changes the confidence level that we've got, right? Because we realize we're equipped with a lot more than a firecracker. We've got a stick of dynamite. It changes that. And it says the energy, the power, the might that raised Jesus from the tomb, that that literally means bursting forth. So when you think, when Paul is saying here, let's listen to this. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, you and I, the church, according to the working of his great might, God's great might, his dynamic bursting forth power, and here's how he displayed it, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. 
far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So what he's saying is, my power stands for all time. It was, it is, and it will be. And it is dynamic and it's bursting forth. And that resurrection power that called Jesus from the tomb is at work and alive in the church today. The challenge that we have is we've somehow unplugged from it. When Heather's vacuuming, I'll, I'll jack with her a little bit. She'll be in another room vacuuming. You know, the cord's like three miles long. And, you know, you could be vacuuming the neighbor's house and the cord's still plugged in at mine. But I'll just walk by and I'll just unplug it just to, just to mess with her. Just as, I love you, honey. Click. And she's, what's going on? What's going on? And I'll plug it back in. But I was always told growing up, and I think this is, an old, this is a mom's tale, wife's tale, that you're supposed to turn off the vacuum cleaner before you unplug it. Otherwise, you'll get electrocuted. I got a lot of time on the earth unplugging vacuum cleaners, Jack. <laughs> I've messed with a lot of folk in my time with vacuum cleaners. I've never been shocked. <laughs> Praise God. I'll probably do it next time I get shocked. <laughs> and by the way, man, I do vacuum in my house. And the whole time I'm vacuuming, I'm singing to Heather going, she thinks my vacuum's sexy. <laughs> because if she thinks I look sexy vacuuming, I'll vacuum everything. I'm like, I'll just keep going. Den, living room, stairs, countertops, everything. What, what else do you need vacuumed, honey? And then she'll be like, you know what you really look sexy doing? Taking out the trash. Let's do this. You, know, you start puffing up. You start to feel that power, right? Like, like she believes in me. There's power. But somehow the church is disconnected from the power, and we're like a lamp without electricity. The power that raised Christ from the dead. Paul is saying, I want you to know this. I want you to know that the power that was at work in the resurrection is at work in your life every day, not just Easter Sunday. God's power just doesn't display itself on Easter Sunday. It's every day. It's every morning. His joy is new. His mercy is new. His power has been refreshed. And you and I have access to this power. You and I are called to live in this power that we might know this power. And to know it means to know it, not know about it. Oh, I've heard about this power of God. No, you and I are called to live in and experience the power of God at work in our life. And what happens in that, we understand what that power has done in our life. That power has defeated hell. It has defeated Satan. It has defeated sin. It has defeated the grave. It has defeated sickness. It has defeated the darkness. You fill in the blank. What you are struggling with, it has been defeated. And you and I are called to fight the fight. But we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. See, we engage in the word of God and this power of God going, okay, I've got to engage so we win. Let me help you with something. We've already won. And you and I fight from that victory. You and I have to deal with the enemy. You and I are going to face sickness. You and I are going to face the the struggle and the suffering of this world and the results of sin. But it doesn't have the power over us. The resurrection power is greater. And what I love about this power that God is displaying, he says this um, in verse 22, and he, God, put all things under his feet. Whose feet? Jesus' feet. So the question I want to leave you with is, what do you need to put under Jesus' feet so that you walk in victory and power? What did you walk in here that when you walk out needs to be under the feet of Jesus? Is it addiction? Is it habitual sin that that you continue to fall into? 
and you're tired of the guilt cycle, and you're tired of the shame cycles, and you're tired of feeling the condemnation that the enemy is throwing on you, and maybe it is that sin where you say, once and for all, the power of the resurrection is greater than my desire to sin. The spirit is greater than the flesh. Let the spirit take over. Maybe you walked in here with a diagnosis. I know that's going on right now in our church. That there's testing, and there's results of testings that are coming in, and there's the anxiety of waiting for the test, and we've got families in the creek that are, that you're, you're in that whirlwind. What does this mean? What does this mean for our family? What does this mean for our future, my future? What about my kids? How do I lead my kids through this diagnosis? Can I tell you something? The enemy is going to try to get you wrapped up in this lie that that sickness is more powerful than you. The resurrection power is greater than the sickness that you deal with. Are you walking in the resurrection power? Have you put all things under his feet? Because here's what you need to understand. He finishes this prayer that Christ is the head of the church, his body. You and I, if we're in Christ, who are we? His body. What's the lowest part of our body? The feet. So even if you are the foot of Christ, all of these things are still under you. And you walk in that victory. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for these words that you inspired Paul to write. That it was the Holy Spirit of wisdom and knowledge and revelation that called Paul to write this letter to a group of believers in the province of Asia. And to this town of believers that had believers called Ephesus. And I thank you that in your wisdom and your revelation went beyond a city. That your revelation is alive and at work this morning. And that the words of this prayer prayed almost 2,000 years ago have life and have power for us this morning. Father, I want to first pray for any of those in this room that are not found in Christ. That you may know, God, that you may know Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. And the incredible calling he's placed on your life this morning to go from death to life. Father, I pray that you give them courage right now to just call upon the name of Jesus and say, Jesus, I need your power at work in my life. Would you resurrect me? Would you bring me from death to life? Would you make me your child, your son, your daughter? Would you make me the righteousness of God? Not based on my past, but on the future. Because I laid my past at the foot of the cross. Would you make me new in you? If that's the first time you've prayed that, God, is his saving work is complete in your life. He calls you to walk it out. I'm going to challenge you to take a walk to this altar at the end of this service and speak with our prayer team because you're not designed to do this on your own. You're designed to walk as a part of a body. Let us help you. Let us walk with you. 
Let us help you with what it means to take the next steps of obedience like baptism and more knowing God, not knowing about Him. Father, I thank you for every person in this room because you have a calling for us. You have a hope for us. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you open up our hearts and give us revelation. I pray that we don't leave this place knowing more about you, but we leave here knowing more of you, of spending time in your presence, spending time in your word. Continue to change us and mold us. And Father, Help us to walk out of here in the fullness of power so that we live each day in victory and the fights that we engage with the enemy, we fight from victory. Lord, help us to understand who we are in you and to live in the fullness of everything you are and everything in our life. We give you the glory and honor. We give you the praise. And this is, we pray this in the name that is above every name that is named. In the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Creek Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Thank you.